Welcome to Advantage Over, the only global rugby podcast to help you become a better referee. Your host today is Keith Lewis. Are you ready? Time on. Happy New Year to you all. It's Sunday the 1st of January 2023 and here we are with episode 35 of the Advantage Over podcast. I'm Keith Lewis, your host and the founder of RugbyReferee.net, which is hopefully your first port of call for all things refereeing in the wonderful world of rugby union. Hope you're not new to um, us, but if you are, you're very welcome to this episode. I hope you've had a a good festive break and are raring to go into the new year. Um, If you're one for reflecting, 22 is pretty epic, eh? Some great rugby, and for me, the focus of the year was um, it was in New Zealand with the delayed Rugby World Cup 21. Um, it really was a fantastic showcase of women's rugby, putting uh, women's rugby where it should be at the forefront of all our mind, all our minds. Um, and obviously, great rugby involves great set of match officials who oversaw all that. So congratulations to Alhambra Nevis and her team of match officials all out there and of course the final referee holly davidson from scotland and and what a 2022 she had two rugby world cup finals the sevens and the 15s and the commonwealth games final too so many congratulations holly for that um it's great to see uh, your progress in the game and hopefully way more to come from you um and for all of you listening i hope whatever your 2022 looked like you enjoyed your refereeing enjoyed rugby um and i hope um if you have found us before everything what you do at rugbyreferee.net is out there to help and support what you do um and if you're one of those who prefer to look ahead at this time of year 2023 looks like it could be quite a cracker Super Rugby kicks off again soon. The Six Nations, obviously, um, in the spring. Summer tours, and then we head to France and Rugby World Cup 2023. Uh, and not forgetting um, the launch of a new women's international competition, WXV, which is um, hopefully going to be launching in the autumn too, from what we hear. Um, and that's all on top of all the stuff that we, as grassroots community referees, are officiating on a local level all around the world, wherever you're listening to this, uh, your rugby, your level of rugby is just as important as all the stuff we see um, on our TV. So loads of opportunities for referees and match officials out there um, and plenty of rugby for us all to be watching and getting involved in. Um, podcast is back, um, so hopefully um, we'll have plenty of episodes for you. Um, I've got, I've been mapping out quite a list of um, content ideas and ideas and and sort of episode titles and interview guests and things like that. So I'm confident that I'll be of more regular feature in your earbuds or smart speakers or cast areas wherever it is you're listening to us um, throughout 2023 and that's well that's my ambition anyway um, and if you have ideas or suggestions for that what do you want to hear um, then please let me know this is a show for you the rugby referee community out there so drop me an email keith at rugbyreferee.net will definitely find me um, but I don't want to delay things too much anymore for today's episode and the reason for landing today Um, is that just before Christmas, World Rugby issued a law application guideline which comes into operation today. Although, as you'll hear later on, most of it's already in operation, has been for quite some time. Um, But the law application guideline they've issued has a 1st of January date on it. um, And it has a real focus on looking at various ways to speed up the game, mainly at the elite, but um, as we'll talk about, it's for all of us as well. Um, Some previous research um, that I found for Stats Perform, and I'll put a a link in the show notes, showed that contrary to actually popular opinion, actually the game has actually sped up since at least, well, 95 um, was the data that they used. In the the Rugby World Cup that year, there was just 25 
minutes and 45 seconds of ball in playtime. Um, and that's amazing. I don't remember. I didn't remember it being that bad, or what even drove to that. Maybe it's one to look into another day. Um, but so from 25 minutes and 45 seconds in 1995, that went up to 34 minutes 21 seconds in the 2019 Rugby World Cup. That's a 33% increase. But that's still a lot of 80 minutes of a rugby match where the ball isn't active or isn't in flow or isn't in play. However, words you want to use to describe it. Um, and one of the T uh, Rugby Championship matches last year, actually the ball was in play for just 28 minutes um, of the 80. So so clearly something needed to be looked into, something needs to be doing. Um, so let's have a rummage around at what has come out in this law application guideline because a lot of it is focused on that. Um, before um, I delve all the way in, I did just touch on it. Um, it's worth saying that a lot of what I'm going to say is focused on the elite end of the game. Um, but... Um, all with except with one exception of the laws that are referenced are in play for every single one of us. Um, they're all the laws of the game that we operate in. They're in the law book that you keep um, by your bed, in your downstairs toilet, um, on the app on your phone. The laws are already there. So it's a useful reminder for us whether we're on the field locally, um, on our own, refereeing, um, what we referee, um, or we're watching in a stadium somewhere or on, our, on the rugby, all the rugby that we see on our TVs. So the general principles that we're going to go through and um, cover the whole of the game. Um, clearly, um, one point that's been made since this became public is that a lot of the rugby that you might referee, that you might um, watch, doesn't need speeding up. The players can't speed up. Um, they're not there to have a speedy, fast game. They're there to blow some cobwebs out and have a, um, a good, fun game of rugby um, on a Saturday um, at, at grassroots level. And that's that's totally fine. Not, no one is, is out there saying, look, if there's, a prob- if there's not a problem in your rugby... Don't fix it. Um, this is about us using our refereeing judgment and all the tools in our armory, including the law book, to create the game of rugby that is in front of us on any particular day. Clearly, what I referee on a Sunday morning with my boys and what you referee on a Saturday afternoon or a Friday night or a Wednesday afternoon, whenever it might be, is going to be very different to the international elite or, or elite end of the game with professional players Um all of them under 25, whatever it is, herring around, doing all sorts of things um, in, a, in a really strength and condition focused game. That is not what we referee. Um, so we need to just have that in mind as we're perhaps listening to what I'm going to go through in the next um, few minutes. Um, the other thing I want to just make clear that with one minor tweak aside, there are no new laws at play as a result of this law application guideline. Everything that I'll talk about, all the law references that I'm going to reference by number, are in the 2022 law book and will be in the 2023 law book. There is nothing new here. Um, I've already heard some stuff on TV of commentators talking about new laws or complaining that new laws have come into play mid-season. There are no new laws here. It's just a reminder um, that there are things that need to be focused on that's already in law. And why are there no new law changes now? Because it's the year before Rugby World Cup, as I said at the outset. World Rugby have always said that they don't change laws in the lead-up to a Rugby World Cup um, unless there's something significant and player welfare related, um, and that's the same here. So nothing to, to come on, nothing new here. There is no new laws to remember. This is already in law. You'll know most of it, but it's just, I guess it's about reminding everyone, including referees, clearly, um, that the laws exist and that if everyone sticks to them, that might help us to get more ball in playtime. And if we all do that and we play our part in that, um, those of us with a whistle um, or a flag or a 
you know what I mean, um, then the and the ball in play time still doesn't improve, then clearly there are other things that need to be looked at. But that's a matter for the next law cycle that World Rugby runs, which will start this year as we as as we get ahead of 2023 and will run up to 2027. It's a four-year law cycle, but that's for another day. And well, if you want to let me know of any law ideas that you've got for future, then well, let's have a debate. But as I say, that's not the focus of this podcast. So let's just a bit of background as to how this law application guideline came out. Um, this isn't just the World Rugby crew issuing stuff from their offices in Dublin or wherever it is they are. Um, this is about World Rugby getting their members together and, and getting getting together to talk about it. And that's what happened after the Autumn Internationals in London. Um, there was a, a conference called the Shape of the Game Conference. That was in London because that's where everyone, all the Northern Hemisphere teams were, were in the north and that was the easiest place to, for, to get, for everyone to gather. Um, over 100 and so um, rugby stakeholders across, many of the men's 15 game um, and there'll be other versions to come next year for the women's game and the community game. But anyway, th- this particular conference was looking at ways of speeding up the game, reducing unnecessary stoppages uh, and making sure that there was a safe spectacle created for players, match officials and spectators. Um, who was there? Um, World Rugby have made it clear that look, there was head coaches, CEOs of the big unions, development directors, there were match officials from the elite referee group, um, the, the the medics, the datas, the data people, the, the World Rugby experts around the room were all there in a room talking about the game as it stands now and what it looks like as we head towards um, the sort of showcase men's tournament for 2023. Um, the outcome of those conversations, predominantly for this for the purpose of this podcast was the focus on the current law there were some conversations there there were some discussions that no doubt will come back over the next uh, law cycle um or they might be people might be taking those ideas and, and looking at trials in their own domestic competitions around the world but the shape of the game conference was about ensuring that we retain a safe speedy spectacle of rugby at rugby world cup um, and that's focus means that there's a focus on existing law um one exception aside rather than looking at new things to implement at this stage uh, ahead of a cycle, and that's not what anybody wants. So there are six areas that are in the law application guideline that's come out. Um, they are speeding up the game, as number one. Then we there are some slight um, focus areas around the television match official, an ongoing issue that obviously causes lots of debate. Um, there was some conversations, some areas, some tweaks, and this is where the law change comes in around water carriers, but I'll talk about that in a minute. There was a focus, number four, on negative player action um, because that happens in the game and how referees respond to that. Um, There's also some discussion around players on the ground and and what is in law already, what players players and coaches need to be reminded of. Um, And also the sixth area was about deliberate knock-ons. So I'm going to go through each of those areas that were set out in the law application guideline. Um, They are on rugbyrefree.net. They are on the World Rugby uh, website. So by all means, um, go and have a look at them there. So, number one, speeding up the game. Um, World Rugby have already looked at, have issued, have already identified the laws that already have, that we already have in the game, where there are time, um, say restrictions in air quotes, or time limits that are spelled out in law for specific actions. Um, and there's a perception out there that these need some focus. You might remember there's some um, issues in the TRC game with um, Matthew Raynell penalised the team for time-wasting. Um, and that's just focused the mind, right? trying to get the game flowing um, in those areas. So what are the existing laws? So let's just go through them. Um, 
so this is just a reminder that they already exist and there is a request that they be more strictly adhered to across the game so what are they so law 8.8 d a conversion a kicker has to take that kick within 90 seconds of playing time from the time that the try is awarded um, eight law 821 penalties the kick must be taken within 60 seconds of the time the team indicated their intention to do so um, law 9.7 under foul play law 9.7 d a player must not waste time sanction free kick i'm already in law um line out no specific time here but the law 18.12 says that teams must form the line out without delay and um, the sanction for that is a free kick so uh, the final one scrum area um, law 19.4 already says that teams must be ready to form the scrum within 30 seconds of the mark being made sanction if they don't a free kick so those are already existing laws um it's, it does strike me as a little bit odd that there are um, in law historically that we have 90 seconds for a conversion 60 seconds for a penalty um 30 seconds to form a scrum but there isn't a specific time in in law for a line out and then there's of course the catch-all not wasting time sanction um, so they are already in law and what elite for elite rugby world rugby want to encourage broadcasters and match hosts people in stadiums for example to implement on-screen shot clocks usually administered by the timekeeper um, for penalties and conversions at least to ensure that everybody referees players spectators can, can monitor the adherence of those laws um, they already do that in the sevens game if anyone's um, ever been to one of the world seven series that happens right now um, and if you're in France or you've seen any French rugby, um, the, the top 14 and the Pro D2 um, already use that on their screens and in, in the stadia. Um, and that really brings the spectators and the fan into that aspects of the game. At the moment, it's a perception. But if it's on the stadia, if it's literally on the screen, that everyone can see and it's on our TV screens, then we can see whether it's an issue um, or not. Um, but of course, as ever, when we bring these things in, there could be a downside if everyone actually does this, because if a kicker knows they have 60 seconds or 90 seconds, they might just take every last nanosecond of that time rather than, let's say, what their normal kicking action might be. It might be their normal kicking action is, what, 40 seconds, and now they know they've got 60, so we actually add time on. But, as ever with these things, we've got to see what happens and see if it has the right, the intended outcome that World Rugby want to do. Um, why don't I think that I've, I've mentioned the shot clocks at um, kicks? Um, I don't think that's going to stretch to the scrum and line out formation. Um, I think that has to be more fluid and managed by the referee rather than by a timekeeper. Of course, the timekeeper may not be able to see when the mark is made, depending on where they are. Um, that isn't often on television, so you can't see when the mark is given. And of course, as I mentioned before, there's no actual time set for line out, so that judgment of forming without delay um, needs to be kept with the referees on the field but um, hopefully we'll see that coming to t screen tv screens and um, stadium uh, stadium screens um, quickly um, it's, it's already doing done in some parts of the world so there shouldn't be too much of a technology challenge for that and hopefully that will um, i guess see some focus of um, the kickers speeding up those kicks at goal um, 
Um, clearly what that means is that the timekeeper um, needs to roll, has to kick in and see a slight upgrade because it would have to be them that drive the clocks to start that countdown. Um, it, it needs to be someone who's switched on at that particular point of game. It can't just be somebody in a TV truck or a stadium clock. That, that person really needs to be on top of their game so that when the referee indicates a kick at goal or the try is scored, then the 90 or 60 seconds needs to start. So um, there'll be some precision needed there. And I don't think, I think that's why it needs to be done by the timekeeper and not um, by the referee. Um, but for us in the community rugby world, we just need to be aware of that and the, the time limits that are already in law. Um, and if players are pushing those limits, we need to just switch on to that and manage it as best we can. We don't want to go hunting for it. You don't need to get an extra stopwatch and, and try and get that going at that particular point um, as a try is being scored. That's just not practical, um, but it is just something we always need to be aware of. Um, there's also just a, a recognition in the guide in the application guideline when it came out um, that those that, that some of those times could be reduced in the future um, so they have asked so what they world rugby have asked for unions and competitions to consider applying to trial reduced times um, for kicks at goal to speed the game up maybe during to bring the conversion down to 60 seconds rather than 90 or from penalties down to 40 seconds and um, that's obviously up to competitions and unions to um, to see whether that could work in their game and then with the outcomes of those trials in the future we can see uh, where um, we end up and whether that might come into law in the future but said that's for um, future law process so that's the um uh, that's the speeding up the game element um nothing new there all those Times are already in law. It's just having a focus on them now and bringing the spectator and the fan into it. So the second point was the TMO protocol. Um, again, no changes to the protocol, um, but there is a kind of ongoing debate around the rugby world that reviews can take too long, um, that the things that are being looked for aren't clear and obvious, which was the point of the TMO being brought in. Um, and that's what the pro that's what the guideline says that match officials are reminded that the TMO process is for identifying and ensuring clear and obvious offences are dealt with on the field, um, and they're asking match official teams led by the referee still to make speedy decisions and limit replays where it's not necessary. Um, I think I've already seen some of that starting to come through as um, in in the games that I've watched in the in the Northern Hemisphere and in, in in Europe and URC. So it does seem to be having um, an impact already. Um, and there was a recognition in the World Rugby press release that came out with the guidelines. So Phil Davis, who's the former British um, Lion um, and is now the World Rugby Director of Rugby, um, he talked about that rec recognition that if reviews can are taking that long, that suggests that the offence being reviewed isn't clear and obvious. Um, and whilst we can always look to... Uh, sorry, this is a quote. So while we can always enhance the technology interaction to speed up the process... The match official teams led by the referee should attempt to make speedy decisions and limit replays where not necessary. That's the end of that quote from Phil Davis. So we'll see, we'll see what that happens. But I think um, I've said this before, whether it's on the podcast or to those of you in person, rugby's got this kind of decision point to make. Do we want to have 100% accurate decisions, in which case the TMO needs to do what the TMO does? Or are we happy that some things are missed Um and, and if they are, and we're happy with that and we're forcing speedy decisions and that limits the um, inputs that they make, then everyone has to accept that that's part of, uh, of the game and they can't then whinge about the TMO not doing it later on. But that's a, a personal view that um, uh, we always have that sort of dichotomy in, in rugby and that, that debate. And we're 22, 23 years into the TMO debate. So um, we'll keep refining that, I'm sure, as we go forward. 
Right, third area, water carriers. Um, so this is the one area where this is only Im impacts the elite end of the game. So if you're a community level referee, um, if you're not operating in rugby where there is a 23-person squad and that's the the, 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 the limit that, that is set for this particular change last year, um, then this doesn't impact you. Um, you might remember last summer there was a global law trial announced uh, limiting the number of water carriers coming onto the field um, to just two. That's the same for everybody. But then in the elite game, there was a the part of the trial was to reduce the number of times water carriers could come onto the field. Undoubtedly, that has had a success. Um, it has um, that has worked so far. We're not seeing hundreds of water carriers coming on at every single stoppage and slowing the game down. So that has definitely worked. Um, those water carriers, because they're not on the field as often, they're not having an unnecessary influence on water carriers. Uh, they're not having an unnecessary influence on players or on match officials if they come on and say things and do things they're not supposed to do um, however in reducing uh, in implementing um, a sort of window for those water carriers to come on and you might remember it was not before 20 minutes and two twice per half that kind of did set um, the expectation that there would be a break for water for the water carriers to come on and do those things um, even if those waters that water was taken during a natural stoppage there was a, a perception out there that the game was being stopped for water, and um, which wasn't the intention. So after after taking all the feedback from stakeholders, World Rugby have amended the global law trial um, for the elite end of the game to allow water carriers onto the field when a try is scored, which they couldn't do before. So hopefully more tries, water's on, no extra stoppage is required. Um, when the, the timings of those water carriers come on will be the same as the length of the kick. Um, and then... so. In theory, plenty of tries, plenty of water on, no extra stoppages. It's only in those few games where there are no tries in the first 20 minutes, for example, should those stoppages be used um, as they were before. So that's just a little tweak to law, and that will um, change uh, the, the law in the, that, that part of the game um, in Law 6. Uh, where water carriers can come on so that will be a slight that will be that is the only law change that's part of this process and it's in a very minor tweak for the elite end of the game so fourth area that we want to look at um, is negative player action um, and the guideline that comes out is just reminding referees to be really strong on negative player action so there's a focus here on on, on players being trapped into a ruck so that they can't get out of the way for those first arriving players or the jackler not aiming for the ball, putting their hands on the ground, those sorts of things. I'll come to that in a, again in a minute. But those are the sorts of areas that we just need to be more strong on as referees. Again, if it's not an issue for us in, our, in the community game, then this is fine. It's just a reminder that those negative player actions slow the game down because the ball length doesn't come out as speedily as people want it to. Um, there's also, and we see this across the game, that players are reminded about their responsibilities not to hold the ball or to walk off with the ball when a penalty is given or throw the ball away. There's a great clip on the on the law application guideline site showing um, uh, sh showing that happen. A player is penalised, throws the ball away, referee spots it, advances the penalty ten metres. That strong refereeing um, and needs to we don't we need to make sure that that's happening. Um, I think for most of us that does happen, but just be, be alert to those players. Um, doing having a negative action on the game because that reduces attacking options by the non-offending team, slows play down um, and needs to be sanctioned. So that's what um, is meant by negative player action. Fifth area of the game is, is players on the ground or players who are putting their hands on the ground. Um, they are effectively taking themselves out of the game. Um, the guideline 
talks about the definitions that are already in place, and I'll go through them in a minute. Um, but it's just a reminder that if players do put their hands on the ground at tackles, rucks and mauls, um, they are subject to sanction. Although, of course, you need to look at each occasion on its own and use your judge refereeing judgment to see has the player just used the ground to maintain their own balance, stability, so that they're not collapsing it and doing things, something like that, or are they using the ground as a um, as a pivot or a tripod to stop um, action? And that's if you look at the again the website. There's a there's a clip of a South Africa New Zealand game where two players from the All Blacks put their hands on the ground in a mall to try and just become a stronger. Um, a stronger defence mechanism. And that's just a reminder that's not allowed. So why is it not allowed? So already in law, in the definitions, in the definition section of the law book, there are two definitions, off feet, where players are off their feet when any other part of the body is supported by the ground or players on the ground. And then the reverse of that, on feet, players are on their feet if no other part of their body is supported by the ground or players on the ground. So those are definitions already in law, um, in the law book. In tackle law, so law 14.8a, it talks that other players must remain on their feet and release the ball and the ball carry immediately. And 14.8b says that players must remain on their feet when they play the ball. So linking again those those two together, so remain on their feet, and we know what on feet means because that's in law already. Um, ruck law 15.12, players must endeavour to remain on their feet throughout a ruck. Again, on their feet, so we know what on their feet means. No hands on the ground. More law, 16.9. All other players in the mall must endeavour to stay on their feet. So there we go. So all areas of the game, it talks about players being on their feet. Um, and there's definitions existing in law which define what on feet and off feet means. Now, we all know that this is really easy to read, but less easy to referee. Breakdowns, rucks, mauls, all very dynamic areas of the game, and identifying whether a hand on the ground has any impact is a tricky one. But look, that's what we're there for. That's what we have to use our judgment and our skills to to be in a good position to understand what's going on in front of us um, and to make those decisions. That's just what we're there for. But it's a trend that's been seen and one that World Rugby are asking referees to be aware of at the top and for players to stop it. And as we all know, little happens at that level by accident. Um, as I said, there's, there's a couple of examples on the website for on the World Rugby website that I'll link to in the show notes. Um, but if we're talking about that, it's already in law. It is an illegal act, so it can be managed um, or penalised if needs be. And the final area is about deliberate knock-ons, um, and this is one that generates a lot of debate and discussion regularly about what is and what isn't a deliberate knock-on um, that's a debate i think that will happen all the time rugby exists um, we have to look at um, what's what's already in law and again there are, the existing law is set no change here so i'm just going to read them law 11.3 which is in the knock-on for forward pass law um, a player must not intentionally knock the ball forward with hand or arm sanction penalty and then there's a bit of a qualification there on what is not an, a knock-on, an intentional knock-on. 11.4 says, it is not an intentional knock-on if, in the act of trying to catch the ball, the player knocks on provided that there was a reasonable expectation that the player could gain possession. So a couple of important words there, catch um, and then gain possession. So have to catch the ball, in the act of trying to catch the ball. That should be a trigger word for everyone um, as we're looking at these issues to figure out what that player is doing. Um, and the law application guideline stresses that players must endeavour to try and catch the ball. Um, however, that's dynamic, isn't it? We know what players are doing in that particular 
you know, they've got a snap decision to make um, and referees are asked to show judge, good judgment when deciding if a player has a reasonable expectation of catching and gaining possession and then if they determine that they weren't then in determining what a sanction is there's a debate here about um, whether there's a formula for determining a yellow card sanction in these scenarios. Look, we, we already know that there is a set formula for actions which prevent a line break or a try being scored. That's where we go down the, that's a line break prevention, that's a try that's not been scored, so therefore we head down the yellow card penalty try action. But I think that's been included there just to be clear that just because it's a deliberate knock-on doesn't automatically mean it's a yellow card. It can be, for sure, but it also could not be for sure. And as, as ever with most foul play sanctions, that is left with the referee to judge on a instant-by-instant case and be consistent with that during a game and during a series of games. Um, but that is part and parcel of um, what we as referees are there to do, to judge what the players are doing. Um, and we look about intent. I, I wasn't going to mention this, but um, people say intent isn't in law. The word intention and intent is throughout the law book. So we do have to look at what a player was intending to do um, and use our judgment um, as to what their intention was. Um, and sometimes we'll get that right. They will argue about it, but we will have our own judgment in the context of that particular um, incident and that particular game. Um, so we use our judgment there to determine whether it is a deliberate knock-on um, and if it was a deliberate knock-on, what the sanction could be. And of course, when it comes to foul play, um, the, the options we have are, are penalty, uh, yellow card, red card. I don't think it, we're not talking about yellow red cards for deliberate knock-ons here, but um, certainly those the first two are, are within our armory already um, to determine as we go. So that was the sixth area of the game. Um, so those are the six areas that we have talked about that are in the law application guideline for 2023. Um, we've talked about areas of the game which need speeding up. We've talked about the TMO for those area, those levels of the game with the TMO. We've talked about water carriers and a slight amend um, to, to law in that one. We've talked about negative player actions. We've talked about players on the ground. And we've talked about deliberate knock-ons. So again, just to reinforce i've said it multiple times there are no law changes water carriers aside just to focus on existing law and that's the purpose of this law application guideline um, hopefully um, if we put all those two together and we get players doing what they're supposed to do and referees refereeing what the law um, says and what they're being encouraged to referee then we'll get um, a game that's a bit speedier that will get more ball in play time and we'll get this conversation put to bed um, as ever maybe it won't um, um, World Rugby and us all will have to look at more specific law changes in the future um, and that is something we will absolutely come back to either here on the podcast um, or in our community referee community group on Facebook um, or anywhere else you might find us. Um, I'd love to know what you think about either these or, um, or future law changes that you think would help the game. What do you think would make a difference to, to the community game? What do you think would make a difference to the elite game? Is there a difference? Should we have differences? Um um, but if you're going to do that, please remember one thing. Please remember that every change made in the law book will have a knock-on effect somewhere and somehow. In my day job, in the day in the day-to-day -day conversations that I have around this, one of my main tasks is to find out what the law of unintended consequences is. What is the unintended consequence of, of this change going to be? Um, and are we okay with that? And have we thought about it? And those sorts of things. It's not easy. Um, so do have that in mind if you've got suggestions for what future rugby might look like. Um, do let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Um, if you've listened to this far and you've got ideas, you've prompted some of those thoughts that we've just talked about, 
trigger an idea in your mind, then then let's have it. There's no um, restriction on who can submit uh, ideas for future laws. Um, obviously, it goes through unions to, before it gets into world rugby. But let's have that conversation amongst the referee community. I'd love to love to have it. Um, you can find me, as I said at the start, um, on email. Uh, Keith at rugbyreferee.net will find me. Um, and I just mentioned our Facebook group. Um, we've got nearly 3,000 referees in there. And I only let referees match officials in there. So there is a bit of a qualifying process to get in. Um, it's We have some fantastic conversations in there. We have people of all levels of all backgrounds in all parts of the world, um, whether they're age-grade rugby, whether it's international referees. We've got all sorts of folk in there um, having some really good conversations about refereeing and laws and things like that and the game. So um, do come and join us. If you go to refsquad.com in your browser, um, that will automatically, through some tech wizardry, bounce you to the Facebook um, group. There's an entry page. There are some questions for you to answer. Um, I say I only let match officials in there, whether you're active or retired or you're, you're involved in refereeing um so apologies if you're not um i'm quite strict on that because it needs to be a sort of safe place for referees to talk about things that have happened to them and how we deal with them as referees um so come and find us refsquad.com will get you to that one um if you don't want to email you want to find me on other socials please find me i'm not hard to find um keith lewis rugby will generally find me um that's my keith lewis rugby on twitter or on linkedin um, or rugby referee net is generally the handle we use where full stops aren't allowed um, but come find me love to know what you think about what i've talked through today what you think about future laws might look like um, and yep yeah, so hopefully that's been an interesting half an hour um one last thing before i go if you've made it this far thank you um, thank you for listening thank you for um hearing what i've um, talked about today and if you like that if you like what you've heard if you listen to any of the other podcasts and want to contribute to keeping rugbyreferee.net going um, you can buy me a proverbial coffee if you head to rugbyreferee.net slash coffee um, that'll uh, take you to a, a little site we use that will literally you can buy um, me a coffee 10 coffees 100 coffees however many coffees you like um, and a little donation goes into the pot to help the podcast keep coming to keep the website um, on the web um, and all the other things that cost a bit of money to keep these things operational um, I'd love thank you very much in advance if you want to do that if you don't that's totally fine I know it's tough times at the moment um, I'm not going anywhere the website's not going anywhere um, so yeah just thank you for listening really appreciate all that you do and the support you give to rugby referees uh, for your contribution to rugby um, and with that I'll stop that episode there um, enjoy your 2023 and beyond refereeing uh, your involvement in rugby and with that I'll call advantage over Thanks for listening to the Advantage Over podcast from rugbyreferee.net. We hope you've enjoyed the content that we brought to you this week. What we'd really appreciate is your likes, rates and reviews, wherever it is you found it, whether that's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or TuneIn. Please head over there and leave us a review. We really do appreciate those. Um, we'd also um, ask you to tell your referee colleagues, friends, community um, that about this podcast this is the only rugby referee podcast out there, um, so we hope to get to more earbuds um, over time. We'd also love your feedback um, and your suggestions and your comments, so please let us have them. Um, you can either email us at ref at advantageoverpodcast.com um, or you can find us through the rugbyreferee.net website um, or through Twitter at rugbyrefereenet, which is the same handle you'll find on Instagram as well. We're in all those places, so please do let us know what you think, let us know what you want, um, and how we can help you become better referees in the future. So for now, that is 
advantage over.